Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Unstrictly Business. This was such an enjoyable interview for me because I had so many questions for this founder, Melanie Mazarin, who's the founder of Gia, a non-alcoholic aperitif. If you've seen Gia around the internet, you might have fallen in love with their beautiful branding, just like I did, and even decided to try out their unique and beautiful drink. If you don't know what an aperitif is, it is a drink designed to be enjoyed before dinner and is there to stimulate digestion and conversation and is usually dry rather than sweet. Melanie's story begins all the way in Lyon, France, where she grew up and spent many summers enjoying the Mediterranean with her family, where her grandmother used to make big jugs of limoncello and aperitif is just a way of life. Melanie ended up moving to the U.S. for college and had some pretty incredible jobs with brands like Goldman Sachs, American Eagle, Dig In, and Glossier. And we talk about her experience at these businesses and what she learned there and what experiences she took with her to her new brand. But we also talk about some of the hurdles that Gia went through. They were supposed to launch in restaurants starting April 2020, but with COVID, they had to completely rethink their plan and direct market to consumers. But we talk about the things that have helped made Gia successful online, what Melanie loves about being a founder, as well as some of the nitty-gritty of owning a business, like we talk about Melanie's first hires, but this is a really great episode. I swear this interview just flew by for me and I could not get enough questions in, so this is definitely a must-listen for any business owner. We talk about some of the general hurdles you have to go through as a business owner and how Melanie has worked around those, but overall, really fun episode and I hope you enjoy. Welcome to Unstrictly Business, a podcast where we interview business owners about everything that helps them succeed, from business advice to self-care and everything in between. I'm your host, Callie, and each week we'll share a new episode with behind-the-scenes content that reveals what it's really like to run a successful business. Hello, Melanie. Thank you so much for coming on the Unstrictly Business podcast today. I'm so excited for our audience to get to know you better. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So I, as always, I want to dive in a little bit to your, when you were younger. And I think it's especially great for Gia because so much of the brand you've created is related back to your childhood. So as Melanie will tell you, she grew up in France and in France, people love to enjoy meals and drinks together. And that is a big part of the culture. I think some of our listeners know this, but I lived in France for two years and I'm moving back in September. So I love the French culture and I love my apéro before we go out for dinner. So I'm excited to hear a little bit about growing up in France and how that's connected to your brand. For sure. I think my childhood in France is one of those things that I didn't quite analyze and it was just happening. And then at some point in my late 20s, I looked back and realized that all of the dots, you know, had sort of connected. So I grew up in Lyon, which is a very food centric city. Um, I, um, I was born in a family of like three siblings and my grandparents lived in the south of France. And so we would go and spend like most of the summer there. Sometimes, you know, my family would go back and I would stay with my grandmother, who was my favorite person, like ever. And um, she was an incredible cook, not in a, like she wasn't a chef, but she was someone who just wasn't scared to try to put things together. And she loved having people over and she loved to delight people by like feeding them. And 
she just couldn't take her booze, you know, she loved to drink, but she couldn't, you know, start at apero time, as you said, like l'apero, and then, you know, go all the way late into the night, like they would play cards after dinner and like, I have all these memories. And so she would spritz everything, you know, she would make, my dad would bring a really good champagne um, and she would put like cassis in it to make a carayal and <laughs> dilute it and it would drive him crazy. And um, she always would make these, um, these big jugs of limoncello with my mom. It was like a summer ritual. They would make it when citrus was at its peak and then it would be in these like massive jugs that we had and they were like neon yellow and they were so beautiful. And I remember actually they had to like ask all of their friends who were like pharmacists to get the alcohol for it because it's just oh like large quantities of pure alcohol. And then, you know, she also spritzed that. And it was like the big lemoncello jugs were like our glasses for the end of summer because they were all consumed by the time that like September came around. And so I just like really cherished these memories with her. And, and I think it's something that I completely took for granted because when I moved to the US for college and then after I realized people didn't host as much and people didn't cook as much and people ate out a lot. And, you know, I started to realize that my body was breaking a little bit and I just wasn't used to eating out that much. And, and I just wasn't used to the food quality in America. And I really missed just like being at home in people's homes and, you know, hosting and, and giving. And so I realized now that like my childhood impacted me so much. And I think a few years later, you know, I think you sort of like, you realize the things you miss and then you sort of take control of your life again. And now I think it's really something that defines my personality is like, you know, I host a lot and I cook for people a lot. And, and now, especially that I live in California, I think it's a bit more ingrained in the culture and I'm really happy that it's like part of how I live. Yeah, that is really nice. I actually was speaking with another founder, Lisa Lee. She's founder of the Chi, which is a whole flower tea brand. I think they follow you on Instagram. Um, and she, grew up in China and moved to New York City and she was working in fashion and she that's part of the reason why she started her business is because she was so burned out and so tired from living the American life and I totally feel you I mean when I go to France when I went there for the first time I worked as an au pair which for anyone that doesn't know is a nanny I lived in the French Alps and I remember the first night I had had dinner there, I actually, my butt hurt from sitting at dinner for so long because I it was a guest. Like we ate for like three hours. We drank, we talked afterwards. And I was like, I've never been in a dinner that has been this long, but it is really nice. So I can understand why, why you miss that. But when you decide to move from France to the U.S., was that a really big decision for you? You went to Brown. Um, how did that come about? Yeah, so actually, it's one of those things that seems so crazy because it was the most defining thing probably that happened in my life. It just completely changed the trajectory of, you know, what could have been. And it was a big decision. I grew up doing a lot of ballet and I really wanted to be a ballet dancer when I was younger. And then I realized that, you know, 14 or 15 that I couldn't, I injured my knee. And I had no idea what I wanted to do, but I had really good grades at school and my parents, you know, really wanted me to do math and sciences. And, and it was one of those things where it was like, you know, very much like first generation college student. I was, I didn't really need to put in much of an effort in school to have good grades, but I really didn't like it. And in France, you have to sort of pick your path as soon as you finish high school. So you can go to med school or you can go to business school. And I just didn't know what I wanted to do. And so I 
applied to Brown because I like saw it on the internet and I thought this is the greatest thing ever. And I like learned all of the roots of the words in Latin so that I could figure out like decipher the SAT and score like a decent score. And I wrote this big letter about how I was just like dreaming of studying at Brown and liberal education and all these things. And I applied early and I got in. And so, yeah, it was, it feels so crazy. And even now looking back, it's hard to even think of the kind of child in me who did that, but it's also the best thing that ever happened to me. I loved school there and I made so many friends and it just really expanded my horizons. And so, and you know, it's like, then I feel like I manifested my mother's worst nightmares because I never came back. Yeah, it was that because you were the first child. So, and I feel like a lot of French, at least my French friends, like they all went to school right around their city. It's not as much of a thing unless you go to some of the bigger universities in Paris to go far away from your family. So, was that hard for your mom? Yeah. And, you know, my parents also like, she, she still has these fears about the unknown. I mean, she always says, like, what if you marry an American person and then my grandchildren don't speak French as their first language. You know, that's like, that's like a real fear for my mom because she doesn't speak English. I'm like, don't worry, mom. Like I'll speak French to them, but it's, and I can understand it now that I'm a little bit older, you know, and I have a lot of friends who have children. I'm like, well, it shouldn't be allowed to only see your parents like one month out of the year. And like one month is on a good year these days, you know? So um, I can totally relate to than the tragedy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that would be so hard. I'm also the firstborn child and I went to boarding school and I feel like my mom, like it was obviously part of her decision, but being able to send away your child is hard, but you can tell your mom, I am friends with this family in Greece and the mom's English and the dad's Greek and the girls speak amazing English. Like it's crazy. Yeah. So it'll be okay, but I get it. I feel like especially a French mother, she'll she wants her family close to her. But now she just wanted me to have children at all costs. So I feel like we're just <laughs> <laughs> the problem is evolving every day. <laughs> oh my gosh, gosh, mom. Sorry, just always getting to you. You're trying to run a business here. Yeah, they speak any language they want, we're fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, so something I thought that was interesting about your story was that I French people like aren't I mean, this might be stereotypical, but they are not as many entrepreneurs, I feel like, in France as there are in the U.S. I think it's a little bit more acceptable to be like, okay, I'm going to go out and start my own business. But your parents actually were late entrepreneurs, and I'd love to learn a little bit more about what they did and kind of how that's influenced you. Yeah, for sure. So I think, first of all, I think that's like a little bit of a preconception. I think if you look at just work in general in France, there's a lot more jobs that are government-sponsored, like you know, arts and culture, like if you think of like the New York City Ballet in New York, like they're constantly like trying to raise money and, you know, operate. And whereas like the Paris Opera Ballet, that's like very much a national institution. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of work in art and culture, for instance. And I think the government just like has more breadth in terms of the jobs, but they're really trying to support entrepreneurs. I I think that it's maybe a lower ROI because it's a smaller market. So a lot of them end up going abroad, but you know, I, I think it's definitely starting and there's more programs for them. And there's just a, there's a good work. The work culture is often stereotyped in France, but like I have a lot of friends who like work extremely hard to do that. The second part of your question was. <laughs> I'm glad to know that. I think that is interesting for everyone to hear because work culture is really different, but I think that at the end of the day, like Different companies yeah. have different culture and French are hard workers. That is a bad stereotype. Um, but I asked about your parents starting their entrepreneur journey. 
Yeah, for sure. So, you know, my, my mom, uh, when she had us, didn't work, uh, but she was always extremely creative. And that's another part of my childhood where, you know, she would take care of us so well. She would always make us do arts and crafts. And like, she loves to sew things and collect things. And they loved antiquing um, so much. And we would complain so much that we had to wake up at seven in the morning on Sundays. And instead of like being home and watching cartoons, we had to go in like dusty, you know, antique fairs to find tchotchkes and now all I want to do on weekends is go antiquing and I'm just like <laughs> um, but actually it became full circle for them because my dad worked in ceramics like tiles and bathrooms and um, he ended up starting a company that it's basically he realized that like all of the tiles that he had imported and sold from Italy into France my dad's Italian coming into the country like whenever you needed them cut a special way to make stairs or to make plinths or to make special cuts, they were always cut there. And there was absolutely no machinery in France for these tiles. And so he invested in buying this equipment and opened a workshop. And he suddenly started capturing like all of the market that was coming, you know, from Italy into Northern Europe. And so I think he really took a lot of pleasure in just like, the reward of like his success, you know, coming to him, he had worked for someone forever. Um, and so it was really beautiful to see my dad flourish professionally like this kind of in the later years. It was, um, I think he started the company like either when I was in college or when I was finishing college. And my mother, she was always, you know, she always loved old things and they were always like antiquing so much. And she loved old linens more than anything. And she also just loved like fixing old things, which I think is like, it's very much having a moment now and it's more sustainable, but she would like buy old chairs, pick them up, paint them. And she ended up um, starting a company that dyes. Um, so she sells the dyes and she also just dyes really, really old vintage, like linen, some linens that were embroidered in, you know, the like 1700s and 1800s for women's dowries in France. Um, and that wow. now every grandmother, you know, who passes away has an entire closet of these linens that the kids don't know what to do with. Sometimes they're stained. And so my mom recuts them to save the embroideries and the pieces. And, you know, I have all these really beautiful tea towels for my kitchen that have the MM initials, which are my initials. And they're also very popular initials because they're the 13th letter of the alphabet. So it's like supposed to be very lucky. And so she has this brand called Comptoir des Teintures, which is probably very hard to translate into English, but it's basically like the counter for dyes. And uh, she dyes everything, every color. Like we always joke that we can't walk into the house with a white t-shirt because she'll do something to it. And it's just a very colorful world that she's created. And, and now they have, um, they, they bought a booth at the Puce, which is the biggest like antique fair in Lyon, um, where I'm from. And they sell, you know, vintage furniture and her linens and my dad's like tchotchkes that they're every weekend and old vinyls and all things like that so I feel like it also came together for him for them in a very beautiful way yeah that is really amazing both of those sounds like I don't know they found like their their true selves being able to do these businesses especially I mean both of them but your mom being able to like be creative and having this passion for antique that's something that I think is really special about Gia too is that you kind of see your whole life and how it's played into the formation of Gia, even all the way back to your childhood and drinking limoncello with your grandma. So kind of going back to when you graduate college, what were you thinking when you graduated? Is that you worked at Goldman Sachs right after graduation? Yes, actually. And one thing to note is that my freshman year, 
I, I started Brown in 2008. So it was kind of the onset of the financial crisis. And so, you know, I came to Brown thinking like, wow, like my parents were basically like, we're going to help you pay for school. And then you're on your own because this is way out of budget for, you know, kind of like middle-class, you know, like province, like French person. And so I was like, okay, I'm, I need to crush it in college. I need to get a really good job. And then suddenly the crisis happens. I'm like, wow, they're not even going to sponsor my visa. And so I felt very lucky when I was able to get a visa and I was able to stay and I got a job in finance because I just really needed that to be able to stay. And I felt like I wasn't done. I didn't want to just go back to France. It's not as well recognized to be going to Brown when you go back to Europe. And so um, I just felt like I needed a few years under my belt and I took this opportunity and, and I joined the team at Goldman. That's really awesome. I think that that is something that's kind of scary for foreigners when they get to a new country and they have this awesome opportunity going to school. But what I've come to find out about visas is it's kind of, it's really complicated, lots of paperwork and not everything's clear. So it's good you got to get that opportunity at Goldman Sachs. And is there anything you remember from Goldman Sachs that has kind of helped you in your business today? I mean, you know, I think working in finance wasn't for me and the culture is very specific there, but I can never be thankful enough for these two years because they've taught me attention to detail in a way that I'm just so glad that I have. Um, I'm, I can I can find like a missing, you know, space or comma on a deck from like, two miles away. And um, I also just made great connections. And I think, you know, the work ethic there was absolutely incredible. And just like, it's a bit like a boot camp um, because you're just used to the long hours. And I think if anything, it's like the rhythm of Kia today is obviously incredibly challenging. And I think anyone who has a business that's one year old, one year and two months old will tell you the same thing. And I don't know that it's going to get that much better. So I'm just happy that I had this boot camp because I, I don't feel I feel like it could be very overwhelming if I had worked anywhere else before. Yeah, definitely. That's something that we talk about with a lot of our founders is that there's a lot of ups and downs in business owning. And I think being in a business like Goldman Sachs, you get to see behind the scenes and get kind of the lay of the land with what running a business is like. Um, so that is really great. But I did read you spent your two years there. It wasn't really for you. And you ended up working for American Eagle because that was one of the clients at Goldman Sachs. And tell us a little bit about what you did with them. Sure. So I worked in the strategy group there, which was a group that, uh, so American Eagle for context was a client of Goldman Sachs. And that's how I was introduced to them. And they were starting a strategy group there to kind of help them make decisions. They had worked with a lot of consultants in the past and they wanted to build that team internally to develop, you know, ideas, like think about innovation, help them with special projects that maybe didn't quite belong in the individual departments yet. And so I joined the team there and I was there for a very short period of time because it was, and it was a great run. And I think are the best experience I could have had afterwards because it was a little bit more tangible than what I was doing at Goldman Sachs working in energy. But at the same time, I had like really great access to the executive team. And I worked with like incredibly smart people who were really motivated to kind of enable change within a bigger company. And, and I was learning, you know, how things worked in, in, a, in a corporate environment like that. I didn't stay for very long because I ended up dissolving the group and I didn't really want to move to one of the individual like departments that was based in Pittsburgh. And, and you know, I, I didn't, if anything, I would have loved to join the international group, but it was a lot of licensing. It wasn't necessarily like new market development. And so um, I ended up kind of randomly meeting 
the CEO of the following company that I joined and um, jumping ships pretty quickly. No, no, but I actually read about this story and I think it's a really great one. So you end up working for Diggin and I'd love to hear, hear you share how you met the founder. <laughs> Sure. I'm wondering where you read all these things. <laughs> I read a lot of articles. I always try to like do a little bit of snooping before. <laughs> I think this one was on This Is 20, maybe. This oh, I, mean, I so appreciate it. <laughs> like, wow, my whole life is on the internet. I used to go to the game a lot at the time. You know, they were the first fast casual concept in New York City. And when you were working at a desk and you wanted to order on your daily $20 that you had on seamless web. <laughs> so I'm dating myself, but that was like, you know, 2011, 2012 in New York city. And you didn't want to have a heart attack. Like digging was kind of the only option. And I would order from there all the time. And so then when I worked at American Eagle, we would go there for lunch of the, all the time because they had a midtown location. And one day we just had a really bad meal there. It was very confusing. It was like, they had changed from three sides to two sides, but we didn't know. And the team wasn't super trained on like, why? And I loved it again. Like I thought the concept was incredible. I really trusted that their ingredient sourcing was great. It had really helped me in my journey of like staying healthy while working a really busy life in a big city. And I just thought, actually, I didn't think my coworker who was with me and is just like a better person than me said, we should email them and we should give them some feedback because we loved it again. And we, you know, we're about to leave our job. So we had nothing to do. And we drafted this email that said, you know, we, we had a bad lunch today, but don't worry, we still love you. But also like, here's five things that could have made our experience better. And the CEO, it turned out they had made a change that day. And the CEO was monitoring the emails because they were trying to figure out how to change from three sides to two sides to fit into that plate that had the compartments that made Diggin pretty much famous at the time. Now they work with bowls, which was actually what I ended up doing when I joined there. But he responded and he asked to get coffee and we got coffee and I just... It just felt like this was what I was meant to do, join a company that was like small structure, really exciting, that had a mission that was really close to my heart of improving, you know, access to better food in the US. They were really focused on accessibility um, in kind of all senses of the world, of the word, meaning like it could be having it be closer to you, but also having it be affordable. And I think few brands do value really well. And Diggin was really focused on like bringing wild fish to the masses. You know, they're the only fast casual that, you know, serves only wild salmon. That's extremely rare. And so I knew that they had like the backbone to do things right. And they just, I think needed a little bit of honestly, a feminine touch. <laughs> and, um, and so I joined and, and it was a bit of a gamble. I joined as being director of strategy and I ended up having a number of roles there and staying for a long time and opening a lot of restaurants, opening the Boston market with their team who was super incredible. And, and they were really, they really took a chance on me. I was 23 year old and I had a lot of ideas and they let me run with it and learn on the job. I had not worked in marketing before. I had not done any of these things. And when I said, we, they said we were opening Boston and I said, Hey, I think we need to think about how we present ourselves because we're not going to have all this brand equity from having been here for a number of years already and all of this building customers. And he said, cool. Do you want to be director of marketing? <laughs> and that was it. That's how I learned, you know, that's, I, I just, it was just by making mistakes and they created this safe space for me to do it. And for a lot of people, like if you're recruiting for your company and you see anyone that's been a dig in the years, you know, like 2000 and, 14 to 2019, like I'd say hire that person. <laughs> My gosh, that is so, that's a crazy story, but so amazing. And I think that it's formed you into such an incredible business person from that like three years at 
dig in. Okay, so you work at Dig In and uh, you end up working at Glossier in some of its earlier times. And how did, what was that transition for you? It was interesting because it was suddenly I was in an office full of girls and, yeah. uh, you know, beauty girls. And I was never a beauty girl. And I think it was probably the most creative environment that I've ever been like lucky enough to work in. And for that, like, that was just an incredible learning experience and something that I think about all the time. How can I re- replicate this? You know, working at Gia today it was just like magic was really being made at Glossier in the early days. I, I think there's still make a lot of magic today um but i'm not you know in the room anymore but it was just it was a really special place yeah i've heard i mean glossier obviously everybody knows they have incredible marketing and being able to work there especially in its earlier days where it was a little bit more scrappy and had to you worked in irl experiences which i think is something that is special for what you ended up creating. Um, but what kind of experiences did you create for Glossier? I mean, I think the mandate was a little bit, you know, we were a brand that was born on the internet that has really engaged customer base. And everyone is asking us what we're going to do with retail. We don't really want to be opening a million stores yet. We really want to be doing beauty on the internet better than most. How do we do that? And so it was basically a little bit of a broader question like, what does it mean? to be a digitally native brand that still wants to have human contact with its customers. And so we started, it was a lot of test and learn. We learned a new thing every time we did an experience. So, you know, we started with a tiny one in Toronto when we launched Canada and then we did the fragrance store, which was probably one of my favorite ones. It was super early days. It was very inspired by, you know, Twin Peaks and it was all red and it was beautiful and we hired actors to work in it. And it was, you would press this button and a red, gloved hand would come out of it and spray some of the fragrance on you and then if you wanted to check out you could sort of go upstairs to the penthouse where you had the store behind the office and then we we did a pop-up in london we did a pop-up in dallas we did a pop-up in san francisco that was actually a cafe and it served you know fried chicken and it was in this in the mission in san francisco in this restaurant that was about to shut down and we really wanted to feel like a special community moment and real estate in san francisco is so difficult so we sort of told the guy, like, what if we paid your rent and you just stay in operation, but we're going to make it all pink. You know, it was very hard for him to kind of understand that. And he ended up staying open for a bit longer than, you know, he had anticipated thanks to Glossier. So it was a, it was a good moment for sure. And then opened Glossier LA, which um, closed in the pandemic. Although I hear they're coming back bigger and better. And they are, and then we also end up working on the flagship in New York, which was the biggest project, um, a year and a half of work. And just like, I think to this day, I'm still so proud of it because I know how hard the team worked on it. And I really, if it was so different, you know, and it's, it, it's a few years ago now and it doesn't feel dated to me. Yeah. Oh, that's so amazing. I feel like that must have been such a big learning experience and working with so many incredibly talented people along your side, alongside with you. Um, and I think that we'll get, kind of get into this later, but was the original plan for Gia was to be more in-person events? Because I think as anybody that has enjoyed a drink by the beach in the south of France, they know it's an experience and it's hard to sell that online. So We'll kind of talk more about it because with COVID, it was obviously hard to have this in-person experience, but can you tell us a few things that you learned that have helped you with Gia from Glossier? Don't cut any corners would probably be the first one. I think we, often someone 
has a great idea and then you have to kind of reel back that idea to make it more operational or to make it more, you know, business centric and working under Emily's leadership, she was always like, yes, take that idea, make it bigger, blow people's minds. And that's something that I really took with me. You know, I, I always think we don't want to filter ourselves. Like we want to, like I, I, we started Gia and I always said like, we want to be a hospitality company because we want to make people feel welcome. But I, I think over the past few months, I've been thinking a lot about what that means. And actually like all these digital brands sort of look the same. And I almost think that we should be an entertainment company. You know, it should be that whenever you see Gia, like you're happy because you know, you're going to have a really delightful evening and, and with friends. And it's like, you know, really good vibes. And there's just like so many more layers to that. And so not cutting corners was probably the first one really listening to the customers. The second one, like I'm so obsessed, like I'm in our CX emails every day. I answer the DMs on Instagram with Riley. Like I read all of them. I'm just like, I want to understand, like this is our early community. They'll probably be advocates more than, you know, anyone that we acquire in the future. I want to know what they like. I want to build the future products for them. You know, we're launching a product in September. It's a recipe that our customers invented. It's not something that I drink. So we're kind of taking a turn, right? It's like, I'm making sure it's delicious, but it's very much taking the feedback of how people, you know, drink their guia um, and, um, and what are the tasting notes that they seek out. So I'm very obsessed with the customer in a way that I learned to be a glossier. Yeah, I think that's definitely for anybody that hasn't gone to the Gia website, you'll see right away. I mean, I came across Gia, I think, on an Instagram ad and was immediately drawn into your Instagram and your website. And I think it's clear that you think about the customer and that you've put a lot of investment into presenting Gia in a way that really represents you guys well. But um, finally getting to the way beginning of the Gia story. So kind of read a little bit about it, but you were on your wellness journey a little bit. You had always, I think we talked about in the beginning, getting to New York and being tired and kind of always eating fast food is more of the American way. And it was when you ended up being in Milan, drinking with a bunch of your friends that you kind of got really inspired to have a non-alcoholic drink. But walk us through a little bit of those first few months of coming up with Gia. Sure. It was very, you know, it's funny. It's like, I had been on and off, not drinking for a little bit, mainly because I was trying to cut it out. So, and I think that's very much the core of our customer with Gia is the customer that wants moderation in drinking is not someone who's completely sober. Um, although now I don't drink at all. I think at the time I was just really trying to figure out like, you know, how to function better. I think living in the city is very hard. It's really energizing, but it's also really hard on your nervous system and you're overstimulated and you eat out too much and you drink too much and you eat a lot of salt and sugar and, and you work a lot and you're always at a computer. There's just all these things, right. That are very unnatural. Um, and so I had sort of cut out booze and realized, wow, like this is not actually the trigger for my stomach pains but I feel so much better. And the fog in the mornings cleared out. And I realized, you know, once you kind of lower your tolerance, if I had two glasses of wine, I would be very tired in the morning um, and I would feel very foggy. And I just, I had a really intense job and I was really young and I just couldn't, you know, do that. And I also didn't want to say, like, I always refused to say, I'm not going out because I don't want to drink. So that was always something that I was hearing from friends a lot, but I refused because I still wanted to participate and I'm someone who has a lot of energy and I wanted to be with my friends. So I wasn't willing to kind of compromise on my social experience because I wasn't drinking. 
But every time I went out and I wasn't drinking, a lot of questions would be raised. Like, why are you not drinking? Are you sober? Like, is there something wrong with you? Are you pregnant? You know, and it's like, no, I'm just not drinking. And I think the mission for Gia and the core of the mission for Gia is to be an invitation to participate, is to tell people that alcohol is not the life of the party. You're the life of the party. And by just offering better beverages, like I don't want a mocktail. I don't want a juice. I don't want dessert before dinner. That has a time and place. I would love a juice, you know, in the morning. I would love a fresh juice if I'm on the beach. I would love so many things, but I wanted an adult drink. I wanted a drink that would, you know, complement the food that I'm eating in a way that um, wine would, or I would love um, a drink that maybe was dry. I would love a drink that had the complexity of an alcoholic drink, which is really hard to find when you have only one note and that note is sugar, even if it's a sugar from fruits. So that was kind of the idea of a gear. I was like, for years, I was complaining about this. And then I went to Milan with my friend, with a few of my friends, and we started talking about it. And at that point I had left Glossier and I was freelancing for a lot of other brands. And I was, I probably was like doing better in my career than ever, but also felt like very unfulfilled because I felt like I was just giving them all my ideas and other company cultures are not like glossy. They're not like, let's take this and make it even better and execute flawlessly. They were kind of like, okay, great. Like let's do, you know, some version of that. And I wanted to do something and do it like the best that I could, but I also wanted it to be, I wanted my next thing to be the thing, you know? And so I was giving myself time to do that. And when I came back, I said, okay, I have all these consulting projects. I'm going to take it on as if it's a project and start sussing out the opportunity. And I got so, I, I can't explain to you. Like I got, it was like, it was like, I was possessed, you know, it was like, I could not stop thinking about it. I had all these ideas for it. I knew exactly what I wanted to taste like. I kind of knew what I wanted to look like. I really wanted it to be fun. I wanted it to be surrealist. And it was just more about putting the pieces together to get people to join me on this crazy adventure. And I remember I asked Emily what she thought of the idea when it was really just an idea. And she said, I mean, yeah, can I invest, you know? And I was so shocked because I didn't have a deck and I didn't have anything. And so I asked a few other founders that I really looked up to, you know, Jen Rubio, if I'm aware, or people that were, had been in my network at some point or that I could reach out. It was like, if now is the, mo is the time to reach, reach out to them. And I got the same response from her and she said, yeah, anything you do, I'll invest. And, and I hadn't even worked for her, you know? And then I reached out to my friend who was in Milan with me and the people from Sweet Green and, and they said the same thing. And I said, okay, so is this a me thing or is this an idea thing? And they were like, I think it's going to be a really hard challenge, but I think you can do it because you're really trying to change how people socialize. And that's always been what all of this is about anyways, whether it's IRL at Glossier, providing better food to people who live in big cities or, you know, just like growing up in France and making these really delicious garlicky meals with your grandma. Like it was always my life mission in a way. And so I think he has no different. Um, it was supposed to be more IRL. We were supposed to launch on April 1st, 2020 in restaurants only. And so the whole plan went to shit and um, we did it differently. And, and you know what, like in retrospect, that wouldn't change a thing. Yeah. And I think we will talk about getting over that, but I think you guys have done a really good job of doing the online and you guys started that hotline where you could text um, to get wellness, to get recipes, to get advice. And I think that that is really special and a really good idea, but that is amazing. Like all those founders that were so like behind your idea, but I can imagine that that was kind of stressful. So you have these funds from incredible founders and incredible business people, and you have this amazing idea 
what was kind of going through, what was the first thing you invested in? I know you have an incredible design and you got it by, I don't want to butcher this because I know they changed their name, but Perrin Rodinger, I think is what the firm's called now. And they have worked with the Savage and Fenty 2019 show. They've worked with Kanye West, Jay-Z, and they also designed the branding. I'd love for you to tell a little bit of the story about how you discovered this firm and the branding process. Yeah. So the first thing we invested in was actually the formula. So it was about finding the person that could make this drink. Was it possible to create a flavor like this? You know, I think at the time, the only one that was really on the market, it was like Seedlip and Kin, who are both like really extremely good at what they do, but very different. You know, Seedlip is a gin alternative. It's very much recreating a flavor that sort of already exists and substituting that in a cocktail that's already well known. And it's like, if I'm not drinking, I definitely don't want fake gin. But so it's not for me, but it's for a lot of people. And they've clearly done a great job at doing that. Um, they have incredible on-premise presence. There's a lot of things that we look up to them for. And then Kin is very functional. So it's sort of trying to buzz you in a different way, whether it's like, you know, uplifting you before you go out or winding you down. You know, I, I think they're really focused on the science of more mood altering properties, whereas we're really focused on the flavor. I want to create something that's delicious and make you feel good because you're drinking it and by association having this great time with your friend. I'm also really focused on ingredient sourcing. So for us, it's all about supernatural plant extracts, zero, zero percent, made custom, you know, sourced from small farms and all of that, something that I also took from my time at Begin. And so, you know, there's, there's room for a lot of players and we're all very different and that's super great. I really needed a brand partner to make this brand come to life. And I felt so strongly that because we were non-alcoholic, we almost had to be unapologetically loud and not like loud for the sake of being loud, but loud in a way that like, we just wanted to be really fun. I wanted to create a fun brand that was, you know, the merging codes from old time and you know modern society and appealing to different generations which is something that's really hard to do and um and so you know we were kind of interviewing a number of agencies and there's so many good ones but i also feel like three years ago it was really when like d2c started to reach kind of peak saturation everyone had like pastel colors and sans serif fonts like super inspired by glossier and everything was looking the same to me and was kind of designed for digital. And I wanted something that was designed for offline. And I ended up, yeah, going to a concert and it was like a great concert. And we were, it was at the point where we had been looking for a name, like hit like so many um, hurdles with trademark searches. I mean, anyone who's like starting a business will relate to all these things. And now I, I understand why all these new beverage brands like have no vowels in their names is because literally every name's taken and no one's cleaned up the um, clean, cleaned up the binder. And so we ended up figuring out who had done the show. Uh, I asked a friend of mine who knew someone in the band to, you know, get us the information and then getting in touch with him. And, and I just begged Willow, um, the head of the agency to take us on. And he was sort of like, you're crazy, but sure, because you're not going to go away until I say yes. And then a few weeks later, I moved to LA for a few months because one of my projects was working for a client in LA and we started working together and it was amazing. And I said, I remember we were, you know, in the lobby of the Bowery in New York where he told me he was staying. I was like, I'll be there in five minutes. And I begged him and we hadn't talked about price at all, but I left and I said, and by the way, we don't have Kanye West's budget. And he was like, I have a feeling. <laughs> and, um, and then it was, it was actually, it turned out to be like an incredible experience. We still work with them today. Wow. And they're 
just so talented. So cannot speak highly enough of them. But also if you're a beverage brand and you want to work with them, like, please don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you guys heard it here first. Um, <laughs> that's really, that's incredible. So did you just like hound him over email and then eventually he responded? No, no, no. Um, I like found him on Instagram and I was looking at like who he followed that I remotely knew. And then we had a few friends in common and I texted all these friends and one of them said, oh yeah, I had dinner with him last night and put us on text. And I was like, hey, like, Willa, where are you? And he was like, actually, I'm not in LA. I'm traveling to New York. Like, I was like, perfect. That's where I live. And he was like, <laughs> he was like um, okay, I guess uh, I have a lot of meetings, but like, I'm staying at the Bowery. And I was like, are you there now? I'll be there in five minutes. <laughs> oh my I gosh. Like, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that is just one example of how hard you have to work to be a business owner and to get what you want done. So that's awesome. So uh, you've created this brand with the firm and you're still working with them today, which is awesome. Um, and you first started out wanting to do real and launch in restaurants, like you mentioned, but then COVID hit. So what have you done on digital that has really worked for you guys? That's a great question. Um, you know, we've played with ads on Instagram and Facebook, and I would say, I don't know that that worked really well. I sort of hate that we do it. Um, it's just kind of the name of the game today. I think we have sort of like successfully built a world around Gia, even if it's just like I post on Instagram every day. So it's really like just still my voice on there until we find someone, if you know of anyone um, extraordinary who wants to do that for us. But it was hard for me saying, oh, we're going to be digital because we're going to be only offline. Like all I wanted was to have Gia dance parties. Like that's how I wanted to launch Gia. And I wanted people to associate Gia with like really great music and like really vibes vibey like vibey environments and beautiful design and all of these things and and then suddenly you're kind of reduced to like being on a screen um in the middle of like one of the least joyful moments in history and so i think we really tried to kind of bring joy through you know online and so we spent a lot of time like thinking about how we talk to customers and how we communicate that like this is who we are and we're all about like celebrating always like finding any excuse to celebrate and so i think the kind of like world of gia and portraying everything that feels like gia and 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 expanding the brand beyond just the product is something that we've done a good job at now anything on the performance and growth side like that's more digital marketing focused like we're still finding our bearings i hate that part of work um because I just want to think through like amazing experiences, but you know, it's the name of the game and, and I'm learning and now we're building other teams. So there are a few experts around me to, to help us do that better. That's awesome. That is also something that I want to talk about um, is your team. I know that you have a few team members and I would love to know your first hire and then some other people that you work with. I saw that you work with Leah from Zeta and they've worked with some other brands and what you work with with them. Um, sure. So I said I is our PR agency and they're super great. I love them. We worked with them since the very beginning and they've been like really an extension of our team. So we work with very few freelancers and very few agencies and they just have to feel like family. So that's kind of the requirement for us, basically. Peron, Rottinger and Isetta. Awesome. And PR, I want to ask you, so you have this really great article in the cut about your wellness routine and was that a like PR or do you mostly just you have people reach out to you just to talk about your brand naturally 
I actually think, so that was written by Daisy Bedola, who's super great, and she drinks a lot of Gia. And so I feel like she was kind of naturally, I think we followed each other on Instagram, but the, you know, the team had sampled her. We really tried to get Gia in the hands of editors because there's only one way to know if you like it and to try it and to get this like unboxing experience. And so they've done a really good job getting it in the hands of a lot of people. I think Daisy was actually um, a contact from my friend Juliana and when we launched Juliana helped us a bunch and she still helps us a lot with art direction but she very much feels like family and she um she gifted Daisy and then Daisy and I had sort of built a pandemic rapport and when she um had this article come up she she asked me if I would participate awesome I always love learning about who people get online because I think it's it's fun. Um, I'm a writer, so I, that's also special for me too, as I like hearing about that. Awesome. So we are getting to the end of our time, but I, so a little bit about your team now, who were the first people that you brought on? Mm -hmm. So first I brought on a CEO who is Henry. He's still our CEO today. He's wonderful. And um, Henry and I had to work together before. And he worked for um, this, he ran a design studio that had helped us uh, build the Glossier flagship. And he was also a friend. And I feel like he had sort of like been in my network forever. And we started talking because I had all these consulting projects when I was really wanting to focus more time on Gia. And he was leaving his design agency. And I said, hey, like, if you're looking for work, you can take some of my design work because I really want to work on this new thing. And he said, okay, perfect. I want something that's like not too committal. I want to take some time off, like go to France for two weeks. And I definitely don't work at, don't want to work at a startup again. And I definitely don't want a full-time job. I was like, okay, cool. Take your vacation, come back. You can choose which design clients you want to help me with. And he came back two weeks later after drinking Apero for two weeks. And he was like, I'm kidding. I need to stop drinking. I want to work on the beverage thing. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. And so, you know, it's, that was the first hire. And then the second hire was Riley, who answers all of your DMs and a lot of people who have interacted with our brand have met Riley. She joined our team on March 10th, 2020. You cannot make this thing, this, this shit up. Um, it's on March 10th, 2020 to do restaurant sales. And so when the pandemic oh hit on, like, the 14th, I was like, yo, you still have a job doing everything that is not in your job description if you want and she was down like Riley had worked with me she used to live in San Francisco she worked at the Glossier shop that we opened in San Francisco she was so good that she ended up moving to LA to open the Glossier LA store and then she had done a number of pop-ups like I remember being in Chicago with her so we'd known each other for a long time and I really trusted her and she also just like knew me quite well which is super important I think when you're moving so fast to have your first, you know, circle of people. Like I spent more time with Riley last year. Well, first of all, with than with anyone because we ended up pretty much quarantining together to launch Gia. But like we just we spent like an inordinate amount of time together. And she knows she knows how my brain works. She was she knows my sentence structures. She knows the words that I don't know how to formulate. And so she ended up she had left Glossier to work in wine sales, and she wanted to in San Diego where her mom is from. And she wanted to come back to work to work for us. So she reached out to me and we hired her like the very following week with our baby funding. And um, and she's she's still out here assigning some of the biggest accounts in America for us. That's amazing. Love that. Well, 
Thank you for letting us get a little bit of a behind the scenes to Gia and the brand you've created. I am so excited to be able to try it. I told Melanie this in the beginning, but I accidentally shipped my Gia to my old address. So I haven't tried it yet, but I'm excited too. Um, and then I usually just finish things off to say uh, anything else you'd want to share, where you think you're going in the next year, and then where people can find you and Gia. Anything I want to share, I... I don't want to be super cheesy, but I feel so like today I was complaining a little bit about my day because I have like 11 meetings and I woke up at 5.30 and it's like, I'm so grateful that I get to do this because it's like, I'm doing my dream job. And I, even though it's like sometimes really hard, I really want everyone to experience that working with this team. My team, for instance, does not want to work remote. So when the office shut down, they said, can we work out of your house? You know? And I feel like that is such a privilege to feel this way and have this energy every day. So I'm just very lucky and thank you to everyone who's tried Gia and for everyone who hasn't tried Gia, you can try it with the code Melanie15. I will make sure that that works. Um, and you can find us on drinkgia.com on Instagram, we're at drinkgia and I'm just Melanie Masserin. So thank you so much for this opportunity. Yes, thank you so much for coming on. This was a really fun chat and I appreciate your time. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Unstrictly Business. Want to learn more about how you can create a successful business of your own? Visit our website, dowelldepartment.com. Dowelldept.com. See you next week.